Good Sunday morning. Well, since you're watching online, good any time of day, any day of the week. It's so awesome to be back here again to speak with my home church of Cornerstone. I was thinking about how long my wife, Patty, and I have been attending and involved with the church. We actually can't remember the first time, the day we came to church, but we do know this. From the first time we attended Cornerstone, we've always come back, and this is our home, and it feels like home when we're here. I'm also very excited about this series that we're doing about exploring the Word of God. The Bible has been such an important part of my faith journey in that I have found the Scriptures to be a sacred place. And along with worship, messages in church, serving and fellowshipping with other believers, God truly comes to life for me inside of His Word. The New Testament itself is such a revealing living word for the life of Jesus and his teachings that I'm always amazed at how with each and every reading and study, there's something new that I learn. And my Bible, well, let's just say it's a holy mess, all marked up, about to fall apart. Remember, I can't remember the day when we actually first came to Cornerstone. We don't, but I know it was over 20 years ago, as I said, because right here in the front of my Bible is an inscription. And that says, to Rusty, from J.R. Castillo. And at the time, J.R. was an associate pastor, and he would meet with me once a week for coffee. The date, get this, June 10th, 2003. That's 20 years ago yesterday. What a gift and what a blessing this Bible has been. Thank you, J.R. So over the summer, we're going to read the New Testament together. Now, you probably already have a Bible, but there might be someone new here that you've just met who could use a new one right about now. The Bible is the gift that keeps giving forever. So as we explore and read together God's Word, may it be that each one of us learns something new that could be life-changing for us or life-changing for others as we internalize the Scripture and then turn around and live it out. So the title of my message today is Promises, Promises. And there are two sets of promises in our lives. Those that are made by others or ourselves, and those that are made by God to us. We're going to dive in and explore both. But first, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had someone make a promise to you and then break it? Now, as you think about that, let me ask you another question. Have you ever made a promise to someone and then not fulfilled it, but instead broke it? Well, if you're answering both of those questions, nope, Rusty, no one's ever made a promise and broke it on me, and nope, I've never made a promise or broke it to somebody else, then I don't think you're human, because I believe it's impossible to be a human in this world that we're living in and not have promises made and promises broken from others. And unfortunately and sadly, even made and broken by ourselves. You see, while promises should be maybe one of the most serious things in our lives, instead, we've watered down the significance of keeping a promise. I mean, we even use the word for, believe it or not, a vegetable oil. Is that crazy? Well, that's really spreading thin the meaning, I would say. See what I did there? 
The making and keeping of promises should carry significant weight as we live our lives and relate to others. Having a promise made to us that is fulfilled can have extraordinary positive impact. And when we fill a promise, fulfill a promise that we've made, it feels really great. However, the making and then breaking of promises can have real ramifications. Even little promises broken, not just the big ones, little ones can truly hurt and cause issues for others. Think about it when someone says, I promise I will. You could fill in the blank. I promise I will come see you. I promise I'll be home by. I promise I will pay you back. I promise I will help you. I promise I will commit to you. I promise I will follow through. I promise I will be there for you when you need me. I promise. I promise. The list could go on and on and on. And each one of those come with an expectation that we hope we can count on one, but we can't always count on others. I was thinking about in my own life when people have broken promises to me and what impact that has had. Well, the most impacting and long-lasting promise that was broken in my life had nothing to do with me, but yet ended up affecting me so deeply and quite honestly, I, it's created issues, trust issues for me. Let's call it that. So that promise was when I was 18, going off to college, my father decided that he would dissolve the marriage with my mother and move on in his life away from her and, and away from my brother and myself. The promise that he'd made to her and consequently to us, he decided to break. To say that it had a big effect on me would be an understatement. The loss of a father and a family unit rocked me to my core. And even today leaves me with those open issues that I mentioned and things that I struggle with. A broken promise in a relationship can have huge collateral damage, not only to children, but to friends and even other relatives. I was also reflecting upon a time when a promise was broken to me in another significant part of my life, that being my work. The company that I worked for for 10 years had a very defined career path. It was almost an algorithm that if you followed it, you would rise up through the organization. More than once in that 10-year career, as I relocated five times, as I took jobs that demanded more energy and hours that I felt that sometimes I could give, that even once required my wife Patty and I to live apart from each other for a full year, I depended on the promise that if I did all of those things and I did them well, that I would get the big job. That was until the promise was one day broken and broken in almost a casual way, as if those 10 years of promises that I've heard and what I did could be something that I should just not be concerned about. As I watched someone else get the job that I had worked so hard for, but you see, they didn't have to do any of the things that I'd done. After that, I couldn't trust them anymore. So I quit and I took another job. You see, that's what we do when promises are broken on us. We stop trusting and either we put up defensive protections so we don't get hurt again, or we just quit 
we quit trusting altogether. And you see, this erosion in trust is all around us. Think about the promises that institutions make in our society, only to let us down. Consider the promises made and broken by these big institutions, our education system, our healthcare system, our government, the media, politicians, they make lots of promises, and sadly, even some of our religious institutions. Tremendous harm can come from promises that are made and then broken. The adage that you can't put your faith in people because they will always let you down is true. And yet we need promises to be fulfilled. We need things that we can count on. We need things that we can look forward to that give us certainty and hope. And I'm here to tell you, there's only one place we can look to. Only one place in all of eternity that we can look to for promises that are never broken, but always delivered. And those are the promises that come from our God. Those are the promises that come from the Word of God. Those are the promises that we should seek and should count on and be confident that they will always be there for us. Anybody have any idea, do you, about how many promises there are in the Bible? Well, if you think there's a lot, you're correct. A lot of numbers float around as the definition of what constitutes a promise has some saying that there are over 8,000 promises in the Bible. Others who get more specific count in the 3,000s. So here's what I encourage you to do. Grab a chat GPT app and ask about the promises in the Bible for any subject. You're going to be surprised at how many promises God makes to us for any situation we're facing. And God has been making promises and keeping them from the beginning of time. In the book of Joshua, we also know that he always, without failing, follows through. We can read it here in this verse. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken to came true. Wow. So what I thought would be fun to do today in this series where we're looking at what the scriptures can teach us on how to live the word, living the word, is that we use the rest of our time we have to look into God's word at seven promises and see how we could apply those to the everyday lives that we live. And so that they're easy to remember, I'm going to follow the word promise. So from this point on, maybe as we think about that word, about promises made or promises broken, we'll take the word promise, we'll reflect on it, and remember that God has promises for you and for me that will never, ever be broken. So let's start with the promise of a plan for us. Wow, a plan. A plan is important. And in fact, what we're learning in today's world is you got a plan. And maybe because I'm aging, I'm more attuned to the idea of planning. But it seems that every term, someone's telling us that we need a better plan. TV ads tell us that we need to be planning for retirement. The news says we need a plan for a potential recession. The doomsday folks say we need a better plan because we're foolish and we don't have a plan for survival. We need a college savings plan. 
We need a health plan. We need a better diet plan. Plans, 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 plans. And at the same time, I think the world is making it more difficult to feel confident about planning. Patty and I are getting ready to start a cross-country road trip. We have it all mapped out. And we have what we think is a good plan. We actually need a plan because we have this guy to take with us. You see, you just can't stay at any hotel and with a dog, so we have to plan ahead for where we stay. That's fine, but since the pandemic, many hotels have changed their cancellation policies. And unlike before, where you could just cancel a hotel up to 6 p.m. on the same day, now most of those hotels have a 48-hour, or maybe some of them a 72-hour cancellation policy. Well, that means on our trip across the country, everything's got to go perfectly, driving from place to place. We need to know at least two days ahead if our plans are going to get messed up in any way or change. Or we get charged for a stay. Not a big deal. But what am I getting at? What I'm getting at is that there are expectations on us to be planners and also pressures on us to fulfill and stick to our plans. And that can really wear on us and feel like the spontaneity and the fun of life is just being removed. So what do we do? Well, how about we look to God's word for a promise about a plan? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. That's a great promise. God is reinforcing to us that he knows our plans. He knows that already. And he goes on to tell us that these are good plans. And, and he knows us because he has to tell us that they're not disaster plans. He's, he's making good plans for us because he knows how he thinks about those things. So he slips that in there. And they're not going to be bad plans. They're for a future and for hope. He then comes back at us in Proverbs to tell us that we can trust in him and not to try and take on this ourselves. And he's going to straighten out our plans. He's going to straighten out our paths. Now, I want to reflect on this for a moment because it's in our nature to look at that promise. He will make straight your paths and expect that God is going to deliver us from point A to point B with the shortest difference between two points and there won't be any detours. And then when there are changes or the rerouting of life, we feel like God has let us down. But when we do that, we're doing what he tells us not to do. We're leaning on our own understanding of things and how they're supposed to work. So I have this map for you. This map might look familiar to anyone who's ever taken the New York City subway. It's complicated. But I think it's a great graphic to understand how God has set up a plan for our lives. So let's say God's will for us, metaphorically, in life, is to get from downtown to uptown. So as you can see, there are many ways to do that. In fact, there's the number one train, which is the red line, that will take you up the west side. And the sixth train, which is the green line, that will take you up the east side. And both are pretty direct from south to north. But what if you're starting on the lower west side and need to get to the upper east side? Well, then you can't take the number one train all the way uptown. Somewhere, you're going to have to switch trains, 
crossover, and then depending upon where you do that, the six uptown might not make the most sense after all. Okay, there's your lesson in subway geography. <laughs> Look, it's a subway map, but it's also a life map. Any of those stops could be a reason to make a change, a job change, a new relationship, or a new family member, a relocation, a health change, a financial surprise. Yes, God has promised a plan for our lives, and He is straightening it out for us. But it might be like riding the New York City subway, that we have to change trains a few times, going up and down platforms, sometimes rushing as fast as we can from one station to another, only to find that we have to wait just a little bit before the next train comes. And the train does come, and we get on and we move forward to our next stop, ultimately getting from where we are to where we are next supposed to be. God has all our plan mapped out for us. We just need to depend and believe the promise of the plan He has for us. Okay, so let's go to the promise of rest. The R in promise. Rest. You know, there, well, it just seems every bit of health advice that has something to do with improving our sleep is about our sleep and our rest, which is important. And according to the National Institute of Health, 7 to 19% of adults reportedly don't get enough sleep. 40% reportedly, some of us will recognize this, fall asleep during the day at least once a month. I wear this uh, health and fitness tracker. It's called the Whoop. It's pretty cool. It gives me all kinds of data. And then it synthesizes it down. It takes my sleep, my stress, my strain and exertion to tell me how much rest and recovery I need to be able to perform exercises and activities throughout the day. It's putting right in front of my face, on my phone, on my app, every day that I, you, Rusty, need more rest. And don't we all? We are confronted with all kinds of strains and stress each day. Some very obvious, and some almost subliminally in what we hear, or we watch, or we look upon. It just seems that the more messages we get about the need to get better rest, the more we get stressed out about it, and, and we get maxed out to the point that it doesn't feel we can get ever out of this vicious cycle. And guess what? The world's promise of the better mattress with a special number on it, an extra breathing exercise, a stretching routine, a better diet, a new meditation app, that isn't going to give us the rest that we truly need. The rest that we truly need, the R that's in the promise of rest, is come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in your heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus also told his disciples if they and we truly want to find rest, we have to go to him and he will stop the swirling and the unrest that is within our souls. You see, when we turn over all of ourselves to him and commit to learn and follow his ways, the burdens of this life will feel lightened as he fulfills the promise of rest. So let's ask ourselves, 
What are we carrying? What are we holding on to today that we just need to hand over to him so that we can get some real rest? Our next promise to explore is the promise of his omnipresence. So, O, omnipresence. Well, I would suggest that just by being here today, you know, most of us have some O's in our mind. We already believe that God is omnipotent. We know that God is considered extraordinarily powerful. And we'd also agree that he's omniscient, meaning God is all-knowing. And both are amazing. But the most awesome thing to me is that God is also omnipresent, meaning he is present everywhere, everywhere in our lives, all times, at all times. And we know this because he promises it to us. Just look at these verses. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we also read, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And in Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples and to us, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of age. So the Apostle Paul is telling us in Romans that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. You know, we often sing that song, that line in our worship song, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I, that's not an audition for the worship band, guys. But the last part of it is the best. Nothing at all. Think of that. Nothing can separate us. That means that he and his love is always with us, like all the time. What a promise. The Israelites there in De Deuteronomy, they're being told that he, does never, he never leaves or forsakes them. He doesn't leave us. That means he's right here. He's right here. And the Jesus in Matthew confirms the promise again when he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying to each of us, he is with us to the end of our age, right to the end, with no separation or no leave. No human, no other entity can make that promise. He is with us in the bright, in the dark, today, tomorrow, all the time. He's with us right now, just wanting to love on us. You can claim that promise and make it yours. All right, we've worked our way through the promises of a plan, rest, and omnipresence. That brings us to the promise of manna. To understand this promise, we have to revisit the account of Moses and the Israelites from the book of Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to summarize it for you. So what's happened is that the Israelites are like 1.5 months after they've left and fled Egypt. That's like 45 days in on what would eventually turn out to be 40 years. These are the early days. And the whole community was complaining about Moses and his brother Aaron because they were hungry for the food they had when they were enslaved in bondage. They had meat in a pot, probably meat stews, 
and they had all the bread that they could eat. Never mind that they were now free. What was winning out here was hunger. Their stomachs were winning out. So God provided, which is what he does. Each morning as the dew evaporated, as the scripture tells us, there was a flaky substance that covered the ground. It was like white coriander seeds, and it tasted like honey wafers. And the Israelites called it manna, which I think is funny because manna means, what is it? And they didn't know what it was, but it came from God. Every morning, six days a week, the manna was there for them to collect. And they could eat it all day long until it rotted in the evening. On the day before the Sabbath, God gave them twice as much. And the manna didn't spoil the night before so that they were provided food without having to work for it on the Sabbath, their rest day. Side note, going back to the promise of rest, God showed again how he does what he needs to do for rest to occur. So this manna continued to show up and show up and show up, and the Israelites ate it for 40 years until the Bible tells us they reached the, the border of the land of Canaan. The promise of manna is our promise that we will be provided for us and he brings us the provisions that we need if we will only trust in him daily. Yes, think about it. Give us this day our daily bread, our manna. And we can read about the promise of manna here. In the Psalms, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In Matthew, therefore, do not be like him, for your father knows the things that you have a need of before you even ask him. And in Romans, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all these things? And finally, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The promise of manna is the promise of God for what, if we seek him, to lack no good thing. With him anticipating and knowing our needs, giving to us freely in accordance to the riches of his glory, which is unlimited, covering all of, all of our needs. Our needs will be met, not necessarily our wants. I think the Israelites were probably not that different from how we are today. They would have liked to have had some variety in their meals, probably some variety in what they wore or what they slept on too. But God delivered them manna and it met their most basic need, which is what he will do for us if we call upon this promise and claim it over our lives. What manna have we already experienced in our lives that we just need to remind ourselves of today so that we re remain grateful and we remain humble? Our next promise is the promise of a new identity. I love these verses, so let's read them together. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you, you received no mercy, and now you have received God's mercy. 
Paul is telling us that anyone who belongs to Christ receives a new identity. Like we once had the identity of all people, really no identity, but then became identified as God's people. What a great promise, especially in the days we live in where identity has become such a prevalent discussion, even to the point that we can be asked to pronounce our identities. You know, we now live in the age of social media influencers and reality TV, which is, by the way, going to get scarier as with this current writer's strike, because we're going to see this fall even more and more outlandish, risky, shocking, I'm afraid, cruder and offensive reality shows that are then going to be reinforced by these influencers who will attempt to set new definitions and examples of what the in, the cool, the hip identities are. And while we've never, ever probably put a greater emphasis on this thing called identity, how we identify and show up to others has been around since probably the beginning of time. You know, we make a choice of our identity with each time we're asked some simple questions like, so tell me about what you do. We've all had that question asked of us at a party anytime we meet somebody new. Or they put another way, so what do you do? And tell me about yourself. Think about those questions for a second. Might the answer have started with what we do for a living, our job title, what company we work for, where we went to or where we're going to school, what we studied or what we are studying, where we live, where we're from originally. And the list, again, can go on and on. Each of these answers are us expressing to others our identity. And sadly, so many of those are the identifiers of this world that state status and stature of trying to fit in and belong or be thought of positively as defined by the standards of the societies we live in. You know, in so many work interviews that I've conducted over the years, and it has to be in the thousands, sadly, very few people ever started their answers with a very powerful and a noble answer and a, and, a, and a genuine answer. I'm a mom or I'm a father. Now, look, I get it. It's hard to know how to express what is our identity, especially if we're being evaluated or worse yet, feeling like we're being judged. But God promises us he promises us that we can become a new person in him and our, our identity will be as God's people, as his people. Yet, how far down in our list of answers would we say, I am a follower of Jesus? It's a question for us to wrestle with because if we have the promise of a new identity, how deeply are we accepting that promise and making it a daily part of our lives. God also gives us the promise of strength. That's the S in the word promised. Let's look at some verses of those promises. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God promises the strength that we need to make it through this life in the way that he wants us to live and experience the years that we're given. As I've aged, I've thought more about the idea of the strength that God promises us. You see, spoiler alert, 
our physical strength deteriorates over time. And so does our mental acuity and strength. And as much as we count on God to keep us strong, that strength is not what he promises. I put this diagram together a few years ago for the blog that I write called Purposed Working. And I did this in the context of our strength and how we can grow and sometimes not grow. So what this graph shows us is that there are times in life when our physical and mental strength will grow and expand and then began to level off. But there will come a time when both will decrease, no matter how hard we work to maintain them. But there's only one area in our lives that can continue to get stronger and stronger and stronger with each day, and that is our spiritual strength. It's a strength that God promises us. He says he will strengthen us so that he and our faith will be able to handle anything that comes our way. And we know that we can't predict what the next curveball we're going to get thrown or the next storm that's going to crash in on our lives. So we need to have God strengthening us. But he also promises to us as he helps us through this thing called life, which, by the way, he came to give us life and for it to be an abundant life, that there's the positive side. So let each of us take God up on his promise to gain the strength that allows us to experience and make the most of an abundant, rich, and satisfying life. Okay, we've come to the final promise, the last letter in, in that word. And that finally is the best of all promises. E is the promise of eternal life. Our verse. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. So if you've been following along with Pastor Terry's messages series, which I'm sure you have, and if you haven't, please do. They're all, all there for you online. But if you've been following along, you'll know that we spent a few months studying and learning about the afterlife. We learned that God gave us Jesus, who died on the cross, so that through our belief in him, our sins are forgiven, and we can be assured of an eternal life in heaven with him. Wow, what a promise. And since we have accepted that God doesn't break promises to us, that eternal life is indeed waiting for us if we will accept him, it and him. One of the things that I picked up on during the afterlife message series is that while we can't understand fully what heaven will be, we might be able to find a little glimpse of it here and there now on earth. As we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So if we're only open to looking and seeking, we might get little glimpses. I've tried to open up my eyes and ears to catch those glimpses if I can. And yes, I've seen some. I see a glimpse in the good works that people of God do for others because they know that they are headed for heaven and they're preparing. I felt a bit of heaven while in worship and in God's word when the words seemed like they were written just for me. Many of you who've heard me speak before know that I love to run. I particularly love to run long distances. Well, I have this quirky thing that I do on my birthday week annually. 
for my long run on that week on Saturday, I will take my age and double the two digits to determine the distance. For example, when I was 44, I ran 8.8 miles that Saturday. That's, I took the first digit, four, multiplied it by two, put a decimal point between them, and the second one by two, and I got 8.8. .8. When I was 50, I ran 10 miles. You get the way it works. Well, at the end of April, I had a 12.2 mile run. I'm gonna let you do the math. The reason I'm telling you this is that when I started that 12.2 mile run, everything hurt. My legs, my ankles, my feet, my hips, my back, even my shoulders were aching. And as I put one foot in front of another, I said, hey God, <laughs> thanks for reminding me just how old I really am. But earlier that week, I had really been thinking about what will heaven be like? What can I expect from eternity? Beyond knowing that we will be getting endless love and unlimited love from God. And then a cool thing happened to me. As I was finishing mile 11 and starting mile 12, something changed and my pace quickened. My stride opened up. My breathing, it became unlabored. And for that last mile, nothing hurt. It was like I was 20 years old. Running effortlessly, as if I could have run like that forever. And I felt it impressed on me at that moment. Sorry, I'm an emotional guy. I felt it. Rusty, there's your glimpse. When it feels like nothing makes sense in the world around us, and we begin to wonder, is this really all worth it? I would encourage you to go back, re-watch or re-listen to the Afterlife series online. Because of this, the promise of an eternal life is real. And for us, we can have a life with God after dying. A few weeks ago, the renowned pastor, prominent author, speaker, Tim Keller passed away after a three-year bout with pancreatic cancer. Since then, there have been one tribute to him after another. I was so struck by this message that his son posted on Twitter, quoting one of his father's, Tim's last words, that I wanted to share it with you today. He wrote that Tim said, there is no downside for me leaving. None whatsoever, none in the slightest. No downside, none. <laughs> wow. Tim Keller claimed the promise of eternity with confidence and full assurance. Will we too? So promise, P-R-O-M-I-S-E. Only seven of the so many numerous promises God has made to us. Our choice today and every day, is to decide which promises will we find ourselves relying on and counting upon. Those that will 100% fail us or those that will never, ever fail us. Choose wisely. It will be worth it. And please, don't take my word for it. God promises it. 
The band's going to come in a moment and going to close us out. But before then, I want to pray. Lord, we just thank you for the promises, the so many, the multitude of promises that you make for us, to us. And Lord, I also want to thank you for the faithfulness that you have towards those promises, that we can have assurances that you will never break them. And we will one day see that E when all of the promises that you've made are totally fulfilled when we join you in our eternal life in heaven. Lord, we just ask a blessing over everyone who's watching this message. Let us all rely on your promises, believe in your promises, and feel the assurance of your hand on our shoulder. In your name we pray, the precious name of Jesus. Amen. with joy towards the crystal sea well the shadows will be gone and all these bitter tears and my heart will hang on that until the dawn appears
All God's promises are yes and amen. He gives us words to live by, words to claim, a promise for this life, a promise for the next. He invites us to trust him. Let's love him together. Let's love his words together. Let's live out his words. And remember, we do that best when we let his words live in us. I want you to be so blessed because you're so loved. Jesus gave everything for us. Let's keep our eyes on him. Let's stay in his word. His words are spirit and they are life. May he keep you, loved one, in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, and in your body. Healing, wholeness, in Jesus' name.